Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll discuss the hiring of Rick Carlisle with Tim McMahon of ESPN and share my thoughts from Rick's introductory press conference and what you can expect from Rick back in Indy for a third time. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. We're now into July, and the Pacers have a head coach, although it's notable Rick still hasn't signed his contract. That's a stray from Norm. Pacers generally, I mean, this goes back to Donnie Walsh in charge, would never uh, announce anything that has not been finalized. You don't want to get burned. Wouldn't even confirm it. But... I think this was the right thing, and I commend them for doing so. But Rick Carlisle, the next head coach, again, a head coach for the Pacers. They announced that. He plans to sign it when he makes his visit to Indy for the first time since getting that title. Coming up on July 5th, he was in South Carolina this past week when he even did his Zoom press conference. I'm ready for these Zooms to be over. I'll tell you what. They're productive in some respects, like having people on my show or going on others. Um, for visiting other teams over Zoom and and doing those interviews remotely, like talking with Nate McMillan um, earlier in the season, for example, trying to catch up with him. Uh, But in general, it's not a good way to do business. It's not a good way to cover a team. It's not a good way to get to know draft picks. And we're already at that point now where we're covering these players. Uh, Less than a month before the draft, Pacers have the 13th pick, a spot where Donovan Mitchell, uh, Devin Booker, Zach Levine have all been taken, and Pacers need to get special. It's a a rare opportunity for them to have a lottery pick. They must take advantage. We'll get into that in a future episode for sure. But my point here was doing those interviews with these guys we don't even know, didn't even watch play much, could not be more informal doing it over Zoom. Uh, Only one one or two of us on those asking questions, which isn't the best either. Um, basically one-on-one interviews, which can be good. But, again, rather do that in person. See them work out. See if they had a good day. See them shooting and play some three-on-three to end those. But Pacers probably will bring in, I don't know, 36, 42 guys. They bring in six at a time. And Rick Carlisle will soon join them because he understands the enormity of having a pick like this, a guy that should be an instant rotation guy and hopefully can become a starter. That's at least what you hope to get on the back end of the lottery, but there was so much I took away from Rick's introductory press conference. First of all, not hurried, took his time, answered every question, came and prepared. This is the guy, president of the coaches association, if he didn't know. So he not only looks out for himself, but all coaches across the league. That's why he has good relationships with so many. And unlike Nate Bjorkren, who I reported had trouble hiring a staff, either coaches, assistants didn't want to work for him, Or they didn't even know him and didn't want to get into this situation. And so, in turn, you didn't have a great staff. You had an inexperienced staff. And that combined with COVID and the lack of chemistry and opportunities to gain chemistry is a reason, in part, why they did not have success. But Rick's currently 
finalizing his staff, working on getting the group together. I'm told a couple assistants will be joining him from Dallas. There will be two names at least that you are well aware of and uh, a fun name as well. But back to that press conference, uh, a lot of takeaways. First of all, mine was the fact that this was a significant commitment. I think I've harshed on this on the last one, but for Herb Simon to shell out more than $7 million per year on average, it's the going rate for a guy, a top-five coach like Rick Carlisle. Um, and now he'll fill out his staff. Some of the takeaways, how much Indy meant to Rick. Um, it's not home, but it is in some respects from the New York area. Just spent 13 years, good years, in Dallas, won a title. But he, too, uh, can be re-energized from a, a new situation, a good situation. I talked with Tim about this, but Pacers haven't gotten out of the first round since 2014. That's with Paul George. Well, Rick Carlisle's Mavericks hadn't gotten out of the first round since they won a title. you got to go all the way back to 2011. So a welcome change probably from the Mavs and the Pacers' side, and and I think that's why it worked out. Uh, Rick emphasizing defense, the need to get back to that, absolutely. He's an offensive guy, but realizes and understands a guy that's been in the league and played with Larry and Boston and everything, and the importance of defense. And I should, as I bring up Larry, should note that it was Larry who made a call to Rick just over a week ago once he became a free agent to check in and see how he was doing and see if Rick had any interest in coming back to Indy. He did, and that was the extent of Larry's contributions. Donnie um, did have some conversations uh, with Kevin leading into their process, and they planned to do a, a bigger search, and obviously he was going to focus on experienced coaches, former head coaches, but they didn't even get to that point because when you can hire a guy like Rick, a top-five coach in the league, and you're in Indiana, you do it because this is one of the things, a major thing that you have control of. The draft, you don't have control of where you pick, truly. A free agency, you cannot just sign a guy outright. He has to be willing to come here. Trades, you have some control over, but there are restrictions, limits. You can generally go out and get a coach. Um some jobs more attractive than others, obviously. A lot of it, most of it, based on players and then dollar amount. And that's why uh, it's notable that Herb Simon shelled out uh, this significant amount of money. Rick emphasized how he doesn't have a true coaching style. He adapts to his roster rather than vice versa. And that's a telltale sign of a good coach. Didn't really learn too much about how he feels about the roster. Uh, Miles and Domas either. Can that pairing work? I don't read too much into what he says. Uh, mentioned a lot of good things about them, their contributions, how he likes their range, wants to work on their range, uh, how he could stagger them. He's a veteran. He knows how this game works too. And so you don't, if you do want to move one of them or and remake this roster, let's say, you don't tell people. You don't forecast that. You hype them up. You praise them. And I think more than anything, that was what I took away from that, he's going to be in control. He, he's going to have more power than he did in Dallas. No, he's not in the front office. He does not have front office power, but it's going to be collaborative. He said that, and I also reported on that. Uh, of course he wants power. Of course he wants some say, whether it's for a player to be moved or for them to go sign a guy. Uh, T.J. McConnell is a perfect example, and I got into this with Tim as well. It's much like J.J. Beret in Dallas. He fits the bill, and so... I know Kevin's a big fan of TJ. The Pacers are, and, and Rick absolutely would after knowing what he contributes. And Rick also brought up the mantra from the Warriors, strength in numbers. And that's what it's got to be here in Indiana. You're not going to have three superstars. Never will be. And so you have to have your health. You have to be healthy. He has a good relationship with the training staff because that, along with PR, 
are the two areas that have been constant, the two areas that have not changed over the last couple of decades. So Rick worked with Josh and Carl and Sean. Andy is new, was added two or three years ago. He's the assistant uh, sports performance strength coach. They added a third physical therapist trainer and Patrick Gilbert as well. So that is a, a new but he's going to lean heavily on them, and he should. And he learned firsthand from Mark Cuban and in Dallas the importance of roles, the importance of health and analytics. And so he's forward-thinking and all that. I thought it was notable how he touched on the, the impact of community, the impact of social media, the detriments of social media. So he gets it. That's what you're hoping for. And also the leadership aspect. you got to have leadership, both from him and from the team. That was a missing ingredient last year. And Kevin teased that he wants to go out and sign a veteran guy, a guy that could contribute on the court, but more so on the bench, in the locker room, on the team plane. So that remains to be seen. Here's just your reminder to help support my work, both with this podcast. If you're not subscribed, go ahead and do that, but also more so at fieldhousefiles.com. That's my full-time job. That's what I make work. And that's where a little dollar amount goes a long way for me. And it's less than $5.00. A month, if you do the annual plan, I also have been running promos, quiet promos. Uh, This last time, it was get your first week free. Um, So check back soon. I'll have a special promo here coming up because of this new regime. Uh, Let's do new coaching hire. But if you would at least consider that, that would mean a great deal to me um, at fieldhousefiles.com. And um, if you could continue to follow along with this podcast, have a lot of great things in store for you. First up on this podcast, I want you to hear uh, the intro from Rick Carlisle. He summarized where he's at currently, how he arrived here, what he looks forward to in this situation, and what he compares it to from his Detroit days. And then we'll get into my conversation with Tim McMahon of ESPN. This has been a very special place for me and my family. Um, When I came here as an assistant coach in 1997, I took on more responsibility than I had ever had. Uh, Working for my good friend and former teammate, Larry Bird, I uh, went through an amazing three-year experience there. Uh, Led me to uh, a sabbatical year following, which uh, was was great for me as I was able to get get a broader view of the game and do some television work. And then I was able to get the Detroit job for a couple of years. Um, and then I was back in India a second time, uh, working for Larry and Donnie. And, um, you know, we had a couple of fantastic years there and, uh, um, and that experience was wide ranging. You know, we went from a, from a team that really was a true contender the first couple of years and it got a little tougher the last couple of years, but a lot was learned. Uh, I took, I took those things with me, um, to another year of broadcasting and another sort of wide ranging view of the game. And then, uh, you know, was, was fortunate to, um, have an amazing opportunity in Dallas and 13 years in Dallas, um, you know, a lot of different types of teams, uh, the opportunity to work with, uh, Dirk Nowitzki for 11 of those years, uh, Luka Doncic for three of those years. Um, and, and again, I, as, as I have gone through my, coaching experience journey, however you want to characterize it. Uh, The thing that I've learned uh, about myself and my approach to NBA coaching is that um, whatever players are presented to me um, by my management or my ownership or, you know, however those things go, you know, 
I really take uh, a great deal of, of pride and uh, love the challenge of taking that group and, and molding that group into the right kind of system. And so we've had a lot of different teams, particularly since our championship run, you know, and uh, I've learned an awful lot about adjusting, about trying to be on the inventive side, um, you know, the coaching curve. Uh, the challenges are always great. Um, and as I look at this roster and this opportunity, um, I see a group of guys that to me are at the right age. Um, they've gone through some, some pretty wide ranging experiences over the last two or three years. Um, health is going to play a big part, um, in this team's success. And so, you know, Josh Corbeil, who I worked with before, who I consider to be one of the very best in this business is going to be a key, key part of this, um, along with Carl and Tim, who's a new guy who I have not met yet, but uh, we've got to get this team as healthy as possible. Um, I've been able to have conversations with all the guys uh, on the roster. Uh, some of them I've had multiple conversations with. Um, I like the way they're talking. I like the tone. Um, we're going to make a heavy emphasis on getting better defensively um, and, and finding ways to create as many small edges as we can. Uh, we need to get back in the playoffs and we need to find a way to win the playoffs. I mean, I think that's pretty, it's pretty clear that that's what the mandate is. And, um, you know, I see this team a little bit similar to the team I took over in Detroit in 2001. Uh, you know, a young veteran team that has some toughness, has some experience. And, and to me, they, they, they are getting to a point where, you know, they're, they're seeing, um, the meaningful aspects of, of coming together and making sacrifices and doing things together to try to win. And so a lot of that, uh, a lot of that plan will be, uh, you know, how I lay things out to them with my staff. Um, but again, I'm, I'm really uh, so fortunate, so excited to be back in the, in the great state of, of Indiana where basketball is, uh, is king. All right, as promised, I now welcome in Tim Band McMahon. He covers the league for ESP and especially the Dallas Mavericks. He's all over that beat. And you can hear him twice a week probably with my guy Wendy on the Hoop Collective. And he's the one that doesn't sugarcoat any things. And he was all over this story with Pacers hiring Rick Carlisle. He broke the news on that and so had to bring him on to the show. Tim, I know it's been busy. And as Wendy said, you had a day uh, last week it was where I think you owned like the top five stories in the league. So congrats on that. And walk me through what went down from your perspective with Rick. He wanted out. Um, did you ultimately see that, Tim, as a situation where it was probably best for both sides to go elsewhere and get a fresh start? Yeah, Rick referred to his resignation as something that was mutually beneficial. I would agree with that. Um, and, and look, here, here's where it essentially came down to. Rick knew that if he stuck around in Dallas, uh, he would have gone into next season on an extreme hot seat. It, it, it's, you know, I've reported it. It's no secret. I mean, if you had league pass, you could see with your own <laughs> eyes. There was definite tension between Rick and, uh, and Luka Doncic. And, and look, Luka's not the only player on the roster who had some feelings about Rick or had tuned him out a little bit. But obviously we're talking about Luka because he is – the face of the franchise. He's the one who's going to influence decision-making. So if Rick comes back, he knows he's on the hot seat. And if you look at it from Rick's perspective, and I think this is you know completely fair for him to view it this way, 
he, he won a championship in Dallas. He was in Dallas for 13 years. He's the winningest coach in franchise history. And he's also, you know, widely recognized as, as one of the best X's and O's coaches in the business. So for him, why stick around Dallas when it's a matter of when and not if he's eventually, you know, going to get, uh, you know, going to get booted out. He could determine to win when there was an opportunity for him to, uh, you know, to, to find a landing spot that he liked. And, you know, I, I think when Rick turned in his resignation, he knew there was going to be a job waiting for him, um, whether that was in Indiana. You know, I, what I don't know is, look, if the Bucks lose in the conference semifinals, w- would Rick have been in Milwaukee? You know, I don't know that. I don't know if we'll ever know that. But, uh, you know, certainly I think he he knew that the Pacers would be a likely option when he turned in his resignation. And then, you know, a, a week later, he's got a $29 million deal uh, to go to Indiana where he has four years of job security as opposed to the four weeks of job security he would have had if he stuck around Dallas. Yeah, and it, that doesn't sound like it would have been a fun or comfortable situation. And on top of that, and we don't really need to get into it, That was there was that behind-the-scenes kind of drama of who's in charge. And I don't know if you were able to watch Rick's uh, opening presser, but I thought it was notable, at least from this end, when he's talking about maybe what kind of influence he'll have. He said, you know, in, in Dallas it was Donnie and Mark. He didn't mention uh, Volgaris or th- that other guy down there, whereas clearly, as you've reported on and others have, that that guy clearly had some influence. Well, he comes here in Indy, and he's going to seemingly have some kind of influence, and he's earned that. Uh, whereas there previously with coaches here in Indy, there's always been that line of, uh, of distinction. Front office gets the players, coaches makes, makes the best of the situation, and I think that's where it'll be different for him here. Well, and you know, when I asked Rick about uh, his same personnel, he, he said he'd be working collaboratively with Kevin Pritchard. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, I'm, it's, it's not like Rick had no say in, in personnel in Dallas. Certainly he had a voice, um, but you know, he, he didn't have uh, not just final say, but he, he didn't have just a ton of authority. You know, sure. going back to, for example, if Rick had uh, more say in personnel, the Rondo trade would have never happened, <laughs> you know, just to, just to name one disaster. And, and that's not to say Rick's always right. You know, I think he was a guy who, who was lobbying for uh, for Shane Larkin as a as a draft pick? Obviously, that didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I will say with Bob Volgaris, uh, you know, it's it's been reported that basically Bob was was dictating. And just so your listeners and I might not be familiar, this is the you know the tremendously successful former professional gambler who became a you know a, a seven figure analytics dude in Dallas, and the <laughs> Athletic referred to him as a shadow GM. And, and reported that he was basically dictating lineups, dictating rotations to Rick Carlisle. Uh, I would say he heavily influenced lineups, heavily influenced rotations, but you're, people aren't going to be dictating things to Rick Carlisle. Uh, you know, there, I can. Josh Green, the, the rookie first-round pick, would have played a lot more <laughs> if, if Bob Volgaris had, had ultimate say. But I do think, actually, Volgaris' influence on the lineups – uh, it's an example of, of Rick being, you know, despite kind of having a, a reputation for old school, hard nosed type of coach, Rick is very open minded when it comes to analytics, when it comes to, you know, kind of the, the modernizing uh, of the NBA, not just, you know, being willing to, to, to take input from a Bob Bulgaris, but I mean, you go all the way back to just, for example, the 2011 NBA Finals. 
when uh, when he decided uh, for Mavs down two one in that series, game four, it's a surprise move. He plugs JJ Barea into the starting lineup. That was something that was you know strongly suggested by the analytics department at the time, hmm. and, and Rick went along with it. So I guess my point is, is as much as Rick is a control freak. When it, when it comes to he, – he wants all the information he can get, and he's very open-minded to considering, uh, you know, analytics, considering kind of different viewpoints uh, or, or data points, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to game plans, when it comes to rotations and, and things along those lines. And for the Pacers, I mean, to give him $29 million plus incentives, uh, that's three, three times roughly what Nate Bjorkman was making. So – uh, maybe in Dallas, not that big a deal or a bigger market for Herb Simon to shell out that kind of money. It, it's a huge commitment, and it also tells me, hey, he was completely embarrassed, not just from this last year, but the fact that they right. haven't got back to the postseason uh, and winning a, a series since Paul George in 2014, and he's not getting any younger. Um, so you have that. What was the sense, Tim, around the fans? Were, did they like Rick still? Were they pushing for a change? What was their general um, belief or support surrounding Rick? Well, I mean, let's just be straight up. The, the Mavericks haven't won a playoff series in a decade. Right. You know, their, their last playoff series victory was in Miami <laughs> in the 2011 NBA Finals. Now, I, so I think, and it, honestly, it's hard to, I guess I'm judging fan reaction based on Twitter mentions. And I always <laughs> want to make sure that you keep that perspective, right? You, you do, you, do you really want to judge based on a lot of times the, the vocal minority, you know, the, the, the angriest people, whether it's in my mentions or whether it's some of the, you know, uh, fan bloggers, the, you know, the, the, those type of people that I follow uh, on Matt's Twitter. So you keep that in perspective, but I do think that, you know, from that segment uh, of the fan base, and a lot of these people know what they're talking about, too, in terms of basketball, Mm -hmm. I I think there was uh, kind of a a feeling that Rick's departure would be, as he put it, mutually beneficial at this point. And again, a lot of that is because it was was very apparent that the the Rick-Luca relationship did not have – much more of a track to run on and you know that's not all on rick carlisle the, you know we, uh, this is a pacers uh podcast so probably not the, the right place to really dig into the details there but certainly luka Doncic has a lot of maturing to do and, and you know him throwing his arms up when he disagrees with the timeout call or lack thereof or screaming at rick on the way back to the bench you know some of those things are as much on the player as they are on the coach um, but again, I, I think that, that Rick will always be royalty uh, in Dallas. He, he was a huge part of delivering that championship. And if you go back through that 2011 uh, title run the Mavs went on, uh, series by series, I think it's one of the great coaching jobs in NBA history. Had a great staff, too, with Harry Stotts and Dwayne Casey's assistants. Uh, you know, Jason Kidd, essentially an extension of the coaching staff playing point guard. Um, so Rick's always going to be royalty in Dallas because of that. Okay. But all good things come to an end, and and you know it was uh, it was time. And if it wasn't going to be this summer, it was going to be sooner than later that uh, the Rick's time in Dallas is coming to an end. You do have a great point. You can't evaluate or take too much from your Twitter mentions because what is it like? Eight percent of the world is on Twitter, and usually you're only going to tweet something if you're overly positive. You love the guy. 
or you just want to fire him. It's the two extremes. And so you try to find something down the middle. And and you brought up Luka. And why that is relevant is because over this last year, it was less so the X's and O's. While that was a problem, but it was, to quote Kevin Pritchard, the human management side, how he treated not just players, but staff members, equipment managers, guys like that, that that actually make the team run. So I am curious, was it in the treatment or was it more disagreement over strategy, lineups, rotations, those sorts of things from your reporting? Uh, I, I think that there were some relationship issues there. And, you know, one thing I, I will say about Rick is I think that, that Rick is somebody who can adapt and, and who can, you know, look himself in the mirror and, and realize areas that he needs to improve. So, you know, I think he's going up to Indiana, maybe recognizing some of the mistakes that he made uh, in the last few years. And I say the last few years, because I'm referring to, to Lucas time and, uh, you know, realizing there's some things that he could have done better. And, and I think that he will do that in Indiana. Um, and, you know, the other thing is it is, it's a different group that he's taken over in the Pacers where, uh, it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a more veteran group. It's a more mature group. You know, I, I don't know exactly how close he is with, uh, with Sabonis, but certainly he had a great relationship with his father back in Portland, mm-hmm. you know, dating back to Rick's early days in Portland. I don't think that sort of thing can do anything but, uh, but help. Uh, Rick has been a big Brogdon fan since Brogdon's days of Virginia, you know, Rick being a, yeah, uh, Cavalier as well. Himself. But I think Brogdon is is also just the kind of uh, of point guard who, you know, Rick really. I mean, he really values, and all coaches do, but Rick to, a, you know, to an extreme degree, really values intelligence in a point guard. And I think Brogdon certainly fits the bill there. So you know, I I, I think that Rick will go up there understanding that relationships really need to be uh, a priority. I think he'll get off to a good start there. He just needs to, you know, when, when things get tense and, and tough and there's rough spots in the season, I think he needs to stay consistent. And here in Indiana, I, I was a little bit surprised because you assume he has options, right? And there were options with superstars, and you're not going to get that here in Indiana. So I thought, I even tweeted out, if I'm Brad Stevens, here's your guy. But obviously they had some different priorities, but I was right. surprised to see him land ultimately um, here. But what I did like from what he was discussing was, yeah, his adaptability, how he doesn't have a system but instead he creates a system around the players. And you mentioned the IQ. We saw Doug McDermott kind of take off finally of his career during his short stint down there and then having a career year this past year. And then right away, I mean, Doug's a free agent, so is T.J. McConnell. My first thought was that's J.J. Barea. Of course he's going to yeah. try to keep T.J. McConnell. It's the, he fits the same bill. No, I, I think that uh, McConnell is, a, is kind of a classic Rick Carlisle type of pick mm-hmm. as a as a backup point guard, and, I, and you know, a lot of this obviously is going to depend on what the market is for him, what the Pacers are willing to pay. But just in terms of a fit with a coach, uh, I think your Berea comp is is right on the money. That's actually one that I've had other people make to me, uh, people who know Rick well. And then you know McDermott, honestly, I mean he's a guy who I think if you if you look at uh, the contract he just finished and you look at uh, the Mavericks the last few years, I think you can make a pretty strong argument that the Mavericks made a mistake by not, uh, you know, not making more of an effort to keep him. But, uh, you know, he, he knows Rick. Rick knows him. They, they weren't together long. It was a matter of a few months. But McDermott really did get his career 
uh, kind of going again under Rick. And, you know, Rick is a guy who, if you're a dude who can run around, come off screens, you know, knock down shots, he's, he's pretty good at figuring out ways to, to get you looks. Uh, so I, I think that is a good match as well. Um, you know, a dude who shoots the ball as well as he does, though, <laughs> there might be a pretty good market for him. Oh, 100%. Yeah, Doug's, both Doug and TJ McConnell, I think, are going to double the salary they were previous making. And to put Rick's contract in perspective, he's going to be making twice of what McConnell made last year as the coach. So that, that was a pretty hilarious uh, move, I thought, from that standpoint. When you, when you think about his weaknesses, you, know, you try to offset that, right, with assistant coaches. And it seems like something went down with Jamal Mosley. I thought maybe he could be a guy that he would either take over the Mavs or could come with him here to Indiana. It doesn't seem to be the case. Lloyd Pierce in line probably along with Ronald Nord. And I do think two, I've heard two staffers from the Mavericks probably going to join him. But can you think back to maybe some of those weaknesses or maybe it's the player relations department and how he hired someone to help offset or, or pick up some of that slack? Yeah, so with Jamal Mosley, Mosley is a guy who develops great relationships with players. Uh, you know, again, his relationship with Luca gets a lot of attention because, you know, it's a 22 year old guy who's, who's first team all NBA back to back seasons, you know, an MVP can all those sorts of things, but right on down the roster, those guys have great relationships with Mosley, uh, which I think, you know, w- was very valuable to Rick in terms of keeping the locker room together at times over the last few years, uh, keeping the locker room from, you know, really kind of mailing it in at times. Uh, I also think that those relationships, and especially the Luca relationship and, and Mosley's aspirations to become a head coach, uh, whether it was real or perceived, became a threat to Rick. Um, and look, when Rick, I think when I talked to Rick when he got the job and, and he made a point to endorse Jason Kidd to replace him in Dallas, uh, I think there was two things there. One, he had a very good idea that Jason Kidd was going to be the head coach of the Mavericks. <laughs> That's what I um, figured. That's what I read into it. Two, he look, it was it was uh, a way of letting it be known that he was not endorsing Mosley for the job. So make of that what you will. Uh, but Jamal Mosley will not be on a Rick Carlisle staff again, I don't think. I would be shocked to see that in the future. Um, but he will be a guy who is – if he, if he doesn't get one of these head coaching jobs, he will be coveted uh, as an assistant. But I, I just think um, <laughs> his time working for Rick, uh, again, mutually beneficial for those guys probably not to work together again. I'll put it like that. One underrated story that I'm going to write about and I don't think has gotten enough attention here, you reported it, I want to say, two days before Rick agreed to a deal, was the fact that Mark Cuban and the Mavericks would not be seeking compensation from his future destinations, let's say, right? So he had two years under contract. Technically, a team like the Pacers would be obligated to offset that. But I heard uh, Cuban, um, I think it was on Colin Cowherd's podcast a couple months ago, saying, what owner do you respect the most? And it was Herb Simon. So my guess is either A, it was, you know, we're ready both for a fresh start, let's just wash our hands and be done, but it also maybe speaks to what he thinks about Indiana and maybe also that he doesn't see them as a threat as well. It might be different if Carlisle, let's say, went to the Lakers or something. Well, yeah, and, you know, Carlisle going to East probably doesn't hurt things in that regard. And, I, and I'm sure that, you know, when Cuban said that, I don't know if he 
was certain that Indiana was going to be Rick's next destination. He might have known by then. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know that. But really, I, I think as much as anything, it's, uh, you know, it's a recognition that Rick was, again, the winningest coach in Mavericks history, a huge part of delivering the only uh, championship in franchise history. Uh, you know, those guys went through uh, a lot in those 13 years, a lot of ups and downs. And, uh, you know, they, they legitimately not just had a great basketball uh, partnership, but uh, a, a real friendship. And Cuban just wasn't going to do something to stand in the way of, of Rick getting uh, another opportunity when, uh, you know, again, I, I think in, in some ways Rick did mark a favor by him being the one to go ahead and say, hey, let's just call it like yeah. the time has come. Let, let's let's move on. Mark Cuban did not want to fire Rick Carlisle. Right. He So Rick resigning kind of takes that pressure off of Mark. And so, you know, could they have gotten whatever? I don't know what the draft compensation might have been. Uh, but why block Rick or, or complicate Rick from, from moving on to another situation when, uh, you know, he was, he was nothing but loyal to you in Dallas and, and him leaving, again, was something that uh, was probably in the best interest of both parties. Yeah, from afar, it seems like Mark truly values uh, the loyalty, the relationships, the facts that he can say, hey, I was committed to you the whole time. Same thing with Dirk. Like, it's not going to trade him. He wants him there as long as he wants to be there, that type of thing. So that part did make sense. Um, One other thing Rick um, said that stood out to me was in regards to the player health because the Pacers are one of the worst teams the last couple of years, just unlucky. And... He mentioned how even going back to to one of Dirk's years, how he staggered his minutes so that the fatigue wouldn't build up and those sorts of things. So to me, it feels like Rick's open to those ideas, the analytics and, and understanding that player health, you know, you have to take into account the player, probably his personal trainer, the team physical therapist, those sorts of things. Whereas, I mean, the the most hilarious stat this past season was Sabonis ran more on defense, traveled the longest in miles than any other defender in the league this year. And that's just not sustainable. Yeah. And, and again, I think Rick is definitely open to, uh, to learning and whether it's analytics, whether, whether it's sports science, I think Rick would be the first to tell you that he learned a ton from Casey Smith, who's the mm-hmm. uh, I'm the botch's title. He's he's basically was a long Mavs longtime athletic trainer. Now he's you know in the front office overseeing that department, the Team USA's head athletic trainer, and so you know Rick learned a lot from him. And and if you think about some of the players that uh, you know the Mavericks going back to their championship team. You know, that was Dirk in his 30s. Jason Kidd, uh, late in his career. Tyson Chandler, who was considered damaged goods when he got to Dallas. You know, Sean Marion, uh, late, in, late in his career. Um, and so, you know, Rick is very – he has a lot of experience, you know, dealing with, with veterans who, uh, you know, maybe there are some, some specific needs. And, and whether it's tweaking rotation, whether it's – you know, DNP rest, uh, yeah. you know, whatever the case may be, uh, Rick's going to be very open to all of those ideas. Um, you know, I, I don't know what exactly the situation will be uh, in, in terms of their staff there, the, you know, the, the medical and athletic training staff. Um, but I would imagine that Rick will make that a priority. 
It's funny because the I think it's all going to stay the same, and that's in part because uh, their success, but also it's all the same from the last time he was the head coach. So right. there's great familiarity there. Yeah, and and they you know that will be a a working relationship between uh, between Rick and those folks because you know Rick he's pretty smart. He doesn't mind letting you know that he's the smartest guy in the room, but he doesn't have a <laughs> medical degree. So when it comes to those kind of things, he'll rely on those folks. I think this is a welcome change. And I think the fact that Indiana was able to go out and get a top five coach is a big win because one of the things is they're not going to win free agency. They're not probably not going to win a trade. They have to, to use one of Rick's words, win the small edges. And I think this is a, a small edge. Anything else, uh, Tim, that you can think about uh, Rick and what Pacer fans will be able to expect. It seems like while he's not always warm and fuzzy, let's say, like a Frank Vogel, um, he understands both his obligation and responsibility to produce a winning team but also be in the community, do media obligations, those sort of things. Yeah, he, he definitely understands all those things. And, look, sometimes cranky Rick is the most entertaining Rick. <laughs> Certainly I got a lot of mileage out of cranky Rick. Uh, during my days, <laughs> you know, during his time in Dallas. So uh, he's he's an interesting character. I mean, the people in, in Indiana are familiar with him going way back when. Um, but, you know, he, he comes back, obviously, with a lot more experience, a lot more credentials. Uh, I think he's learned a lot. And, you know, one I, I did mention that uh, it's been 10 years in Dallas without a, without a playoff series win. Uh, I, I do think it's important to note that, in fairness to Rick, they were not favored to win any series during that time. That they underwent a rebuilding process during that time. Okay. And you know, I think if you look at, at them taking the the Clippers to seven games, you know, taking several years back, taking the Spurs to seven games when when they were significant underdogs, you know, those are probably five at best six game series, if not for you know Rick's uh, uh, adjustments and X's and O's. Uh, stretching it out for for the Mavericks, so no question that that he's definitely one of the best X's and O's coaches uh, in the game. Uh, curious to see how how he does in terms of uh, relationship, uh, you know, development and, and, and maintenance up there. And then obviously, you know, the the other big question is how can the Pacers uh, upgrade or, or or change their roster? As much as Rick talked about Sabonis and Turner as, as a duo. I, I think we all understand that uh, that's probably not going to be a long-term fit. Yeah, and I, I thought it was notable when he was first asked about it. He goes, well, we could stagger them. Well, you can't tie up $40 million and, and pay two starting centers just to look into staggering, right? And so, Yeah, you're, you're I not think paying the those salaries down. to have those guys play 24 minutes per game. So, again, you know, Rick will work with Pritchard. Uh, does that mean a trade is coming soon? Does that mean before the deadline? You know, who knows what will happen this season? Nobody knows, but I, I, I think it is fair to say for the Pacers to make a significant leap forward that they will have to figure out a way to uh, to modernize their roster as well. Very good, Tim. This, this was great and informative, I think, for myself and Pacer fans, and so I appreciate it. You were all over the story and was the one person I had to have a conversation with, so I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's Tim McMahon of ESPN all over the Dallas beat and does a lot nationally picks up uh, some beats where ESPN doesn't have full-time writers for example like Utah and does a really nice job and he's a great personality good character he, he doesn't take the job too seriously he does when it matters but has a lot of fun especially on in this forum right on the podcast on the hoop collective and and just now with me on the Fieldhouse Files. so good stuff there with Tim uh, really exciting time I think for Pacer fans a nice change of pace both for Mavs 
and Pacer fans are getting new coaches. And the thing I go back to with Rick is you're going to see an uptick right away. That's what he's done in his previous stops, an increase of 13 and 18 wins when he was with the Pistons and Pacers, respectively. The Pacers can get healthy. They're going to be a playoff team. They're an automatic, essentially, playoff team, if healthy and in, in that right situation. This past year was an off year. It was an odd year. And again, Rick coming here to Indy says a lot about ownership, says a lot about, I think, the job, too, uh, where Donnie had some influence, uh, Larry as well, uh, Kevin Pritchard sealing the deal, Herb Simon making uh, the money available to do so, and Rick Carlisle arriving to Indiana with instant credibility. This has been another Fieldhouse Files podcast. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to this show and to fieldhousefiles.com, and I'll talk to you again soon.